In 50 feet, turn left. Why are you driving so slowly? After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in point .1 miles. <sighs> Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey now, what up though? Jay Scott Smith here, the host of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. And you might be wondering why I call it the People's Podcast. Well, I've got a brand new reason for me to call it the People's Podcast, because I'm putting the future of this show into your hands. This show is now on Patreon, and what Patreon is going to help you the jsc radio listener the jsc radio follower and fan contribute to the show in whatever way you see fit that's right looking for people to help keep this show moving whether you want to donate one dollar an episode hell one dollar a month for five dollars per episode i'll shout you out on this show and you'll even be able to vote on exclusive polls and exclusive half episodes that's right jsc exclusives you'll get to hear those half episodes before anyone else for ten dollars or more per episode now it gets fun because you get to be a sponsor on this show you got a business you want me to talk about it i want you to sponsor my show for ten dollars hit me up send me the script i'm putting you over plus you get all the other cool stuff that comes with it $25 an episode, same thing applies, except this time you will become an official segment sponsor. Do you want a segment of this show sponsored by your business? Of course you do. That's why you want to hit me up on Patreon. For more information on how to become a sponsor of JSC Radio, go to patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Patreon.com slash JSC Radio, and you can truly help this become the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. I don't want to hear people dare to clutch pearls and take umbrage to being called racist or prejudiced for supporting him. Members of the Ku Klux Klan, members of white supremacist groups were literally taking victory laps around the country today. Men like David Duke, and I use the term man very loosely to describe him, were cheering the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan endorsed this man multiple times. They were doing robocalls for him in the South. But you're going to sit here and tell me that just because I support Trump doesn't make me racist. Yes, it does. Because the only thing worse than someone being an outward racist is someone who's willing to look the other way. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now. How's everyone doing? My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Best of 2016 edition, and we're looking at some of the more controversial, outspoken, and just plain outlandish moments 
of 2016. I want to thank each and every one of y'all for consistently supporting this show. Remember, if you want to get in on the ground floor of this show, hit up my Patreon page. As you heard in the promo prior to the start of the show, simply go to patreon.com slash jscradio if you want to get in on the ground floor and be a sponsor of this show. I want to remind you also, you can, of course, subscribe to this show on iTunes. All you got to do is dap up that subscribe button and you are in there like swimwear. I'm also on Stitcher Radio, so feel free to subscribe on Stitcher or you can go over to SoundCloud and follow me on SoundCloud. Whatever the case... Be sure to show love and support JSC Radio. So yes, this is part two of the Best Of series here to end this amazingly awful year of 2016. 2016 is going to be remembered as one of those years you just don't speak of. But on this show, which started back in March, just as often as I've talked about big time sports moments, you know, in case you heard part one of the Best Of series, I also... Took time to talk about things that weren't sports. Oh, why don't you stick to sports? Oh, why don't you stick it someplace else? This is a podcast that focuses on sports, yes. But it doesn't hesitate, as you could tell from the intro, to hit on things that are very far off the field or off the court. It hits on things that are just flat-out real life. I mean, during this year, yes, I talked about the World Series and the NBA Finals and issues with the NFL. We'll get to those a little bit later. All these different things. So, yes, of course, we beat sports down. But it would be, I guess I would be derelict in my duties if I simply ignored what went on outside of the realm of sports. If I just ignored everything, especially in a year like this. So yes, on this show, we've also talked about Brexit. We've also gone into numerous things dealing with that presidential election. Again, as you heard in the show's intro. But this show is so much more than sports. And that's what this best of is going to be. And we're just going to jump pretty much right off into this by going into one of the first forays I made into social issues. Going to kick it all the way back to episode three when I talked about the issues going on in Flint with the water crisis. And that's still going on, by the way. The episode I did that, episode three, that was back in that was back in April. Dude, that was back at the end of March. That still hasn't been settled. The Attorney General, Bill Schuette, still is filing charges along the way. In fact, one of the guys who I mentioned in that episode, Darnell Early, the former emergency manager, was charged recently. So that's still ongoing. That wasn't just a one-off that I threw out there. So as we get off into the best of JSC Radio for 2016, let's go back to episode three where I paid homage, showed love, but also got very real about one of my homes away from home, Flint, Michigan. You're listening to the best of JSC Radio. What happened in Flint is a disgrace. It's a damn disgrace. I've written about this. I've talked about this. Anybody who listens, anybody who follows me on Twitter, by the way, that's at jscottsmith on Twitter. Be sure to hit that follow button. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows. It's kind of difficult for me to be objective about this as a longstanding journalist because at a certain point, the journalism aspect of it stops and the humanity kicks in. And it's no longer about being objective. It's now about being human, about someone who's 
worked in Flint, who's visited friends in Flint, who's been to Flint. I've interviewed Clarissa Shields, who was the first woman to ever win a gold medal in boxing. She's from Flint. I interviewed her when she first won the gold medal four years ago. And just to drive into that city, how much they love you. Flint, when you do well, when you get over in Flint, you get all the way over. You are a hero. You are a legend in that city. People like Terry Crews and Andre Risen and Morris Peterson and Charlie Bell and Antonio Smith. I mean, all these guys who come out of Flint, and there's so many more I can't even get into. When all these guys who come out of Flint, Flint loves you. And that's why what happened to Flint, Michigan is a damn disgrace. It's the type of thing you often associate with an impoverished third world nation. Not a country that boasts that it's the greatest nation in the world. Flint's water crisis exposed the city's nearly 100,000 residents to lead poisoning. And it was brought about by a malignant combination of arrogance, apathy, negligence, and incompetence by the administration of Michigan Governor Rick Snyder. It exposed a state administration that was supposedly built on transparency and run like a business. If you hear any kind of presidential candidate talking about running the country like a business, take a good look at the state of Michigan, preferably Flint and Detroit, and you tell me what it's like when your state's run like a damn business. But it, it's, it's just built on this idea that you run like a business as being, they're more interested clearly in propaganda and PR than the health and well-being of their residents. And Snyder can sit there and say that that's not what he cares about, but we have the, we have the emails, we've got the info. For an American city in the 21st century to have thousands of children, a majority of them poor and black, to drink and bathe for nearly 18 months in water with the lead count equivalent of toxic waste. It's incomprehensible and it's a damn embarrassment to this country. For all the silliness and for the years of me hosting things like Feel the Hunger Radio, which, by the way, enjoyed it. Flint showed a lot of love on Feel the Hunger Radio. Flint showed a lot of love when I was on 96.5. Okay? For all that, I'm still a journalist and have been for nearly 12 years with professional experience. And I'm supposed to be objective. But this is, this ain't, there's no way you can be objective. This is totally personal for me. Like I mentioned earlier, I worked in Flint for a year. I have, fl- I have friends and former college classmates from the city of Flint. I covered the city for other news outlets. I had former colleagues at the Flint Journal, along with the journalists at the Detroit Free Press, Detroit News, and at Michigan Radio, who have done an incredible job working their asses off to tirelessly cover this water crisis from the very beginning. Contrary to popular belief, where people like to act as if the media stood around and didn't say anything, and didn't pay any attention, and didn't cover it, that's BS. The Flint Journal was on this from the day they switched that water. They were on this before they switched the water. So just because you simpletons were late to the party doesn't mean that the people covering it were. They didn't miss the story, you did. Anyway, as someone who grew up in Detroit, and I've seen What happens in my hometown when government officials, both elected and appointed, fail miserably? Detroit and Flint, as I mentioned earlier, 80 miles away from each other on I-75. They're not much different from each other. They both were built upon the auto industry. They're both majority black, and they both have staggering rates of poverty and crime. Detroit, my city, dealing with the failings of state and local government in the aftermath of our own problems, you know, a little bankruptcy deal we went through a few years ago. And we've 
already had issues with our long neglected school system, the Detroit Public Schools, which I'm a graduate of, are in big trouble. Big, big trouble. So in many ways, I feel Flint's pain because it's a pain that I experienced up close. But people of all ages in Flint are struggling. And the number of health issues, and you've seen the pictures and you've heard the stories due to the, that contaminated water with all the skin rashes and the hair loss and the and that's not even getting into the cognitive damage to the children because they're actually ingesting this, this lead-infested water. Women are having miscarriages because of this terrible damn water. And none of this needed to happen. None of it. People of all backgrounds. You got parents, you got teachers, you got business owners, you got civic leaders, you got young, old, black, white. They all demanded answers from the state and from the city as to why the hell the tap water was coming out brown and with a terrible odor. They all act like they don't know what the hell's going on, but they knew what was going on from the very beginning. They were constantly told everything was safe, but never mind that General Motors, you know, the quintessential Flint business that has only been making automobiles there for damn near a century, said that the water coming out of the Flint River, which, to kind of give you a little background, their water source originally was tied to the Detroit water system, and Detroit pulls its water from Lake Huron, you know, one of the Great Lakes. The H in the homes in Great Lakes, for those of you who learned about the Great Lakes in school. The city of Flint was going through a very deep financial issue. They were under emergency management before Detroit was. They were in deep trouble. And they figured to save money, which is the basis for a lot of this foolishness, they were going to switch their water source from Lake Huron to this new water authority, but in the interim, they were gonna, they're going to pull the plug on Lake Huron and go to the Flint River. The Flint River has water that General Motors deemed too corrosive for auto parts. Auto parts. You know, like your engine, pistons, car doors, lug nuts, every damn thing. The water was so bad that they would not let the water hit the auto parts that were being put onto cars. But yet, these people in city, and more so state, because the city really didn't have a lot of say in this under emergency management, the state felt that it was not a big deal, and they knew it. Emails showed that they had been told by General Motors that the water was too bad, and they dismissed that. Oh, just because General Motors complains about a little water doesn't mean it's bad. What the hell is wrong with you people? I'm still looking for the answer to that question of what the hell was wrong with them. What made them think... What made you think that any of this is a good idea? And that's why I often bristle, as I mentioned in that episode, that's why I often bristle at this absurd notion that states and the country should be run like a business. The state of Michigan was treated like a business instead of treated like an entity where people need to live. And when you do that, things like Flint happen. You want to know what else happens when you... Don't take people into account. Things like what happened in Orlando. Back during the summer, we all know of the now infamous mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. And shortly after that, I pretty much had to take to this microphone and really just get a load off my chest. Because as you will hear on this particular segment, it just bothered me way too much that this country is able to do so many things and often fast-track them without any sort of issue. Things that you would think would take forever can just blow right through. Yet, as we found out, this country's archaic, moronic gun laws 
strangely enough, can't be fixed because, well, what are you going to do? This is the best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. We go back to episode 11 where I laid out my issues with this country's gun laws and how it led to tragedies like Orlando. What's also dangerous is how many Americans have bought into this cowardly, lazy-ass narrative that we simply shouldn't even try to fix or change gun laws. We shouldn't even try. Why even try? Don't waste your time. Because, quote, criminals are just going to get guns anyway. You can't stop them all. So you just say the hell with it. That line of thinking has been propagated by, no shock here, Republican, and to be fair, a few rural Democratic lawmakers who are beholden to that gun lobby called the NRA. Another shooting I mentioned earlier, there's so damn many of them, it's easy to get, you know, confused. Newtown was really the thing that changed the game. And I've seen versions of this on Twitter. I've seen versions of this on Facebook and on Instagram and things of that nature, that pretty much this country was, the gun debate in this country pretty much went to hell in a handbasket when 20 first graders got gunned down and, you know, lawmakers just said, what you gonna do? A gunman literally murdered 20 first graders. 20! We're talking about a bunch of six-year-olds, five-year-olds. Yet after that, a majority of our elected officials let out a collective, well, gave a Kanye shrug and said, Second Amendment, America, Second Amendment is sacred. No, it's not. Quit acting like the Second Amendment is untouchable and infallible. For the love of God, when the Founding Fathers created the Constitution, mind you, it's the Second Amendment, not the First. It is interesting how some of these politicians are willing to fight like hell, fight to the death for the Second Amendment, they're more than willing to let a few things about the First Amendment kind of slide. The Second Amendment was brought up at a time when cats were using muskets and cannons and were actually fighting for the survival of this country. No matter what these rednecks tell you in, these, in, in the rest of the random parts of the country, this country ain't on the verge of getting taken over. Well-ordered militias. Militias, they're using muskets, not AR-15s and AK-47s that can pump off 30 rounds before your ass has a chance to blink. Second Amendment. We, came, or we care more about that damn Second Amendment in this country than we do the 1st, 5th, and 13th. If you don't know what those are, shame on you. You should have been paying attention in friggin' social studies. But then again, these are also the same ones who'll sit there with a straight face and say stupid things like, guns don't kill people, or the aforementioned, guns are for sport and fun, or guns represent freedom, America, uh, or my personal favorite, guns are tools. No, the people who own guns are tools. And until someone walks up in a movie theater or a school or a church or a mosque or a club or to a job and kills 40 people with a socket wrench, you can miss me with the tool bullshit. In fact, miss me with all this weak shit. You can change and fix gun laws. It's not easy. It requires effort. It might be something that hurts. It might be something that takes years to push through. But you can't sit here and tell me we just can't do anything about it because what's going to change it? I don't know. Does doing the same thing you've been doing forever, how's that working? Damn near 50 more people got shot to death in a damn club. 
and there's another 53 sitting in the hospital and you don't know whether they're going to survive or not. So not doing anything hasn't exactly produced a whole lot of great results. How about we get up off our sorry ass and do something about it? I mean, if a bunch of states in this country run by a lot of these same legislators who just can't seem to do anything about gun laws can magically challenge the Voting Rights Act and create voter ID laws that fix a voter fraud problem that doesn't actually exist, you can fix gun laws. If you can create laws that protect religious freedom, you know, despite the fact that there's this thing called the First Amendment that already protects religious freedom, those laws that happen to protect religious freedom that just so happen to tacitly sanction discrimination against the LGBT and Muslims, you can fix the damn gun laws. If somehow these same guys, most of them Republicans, can create laws out of the clear blue sky to combat the ever dangerous issue of a transgender person going to the bathroom to combat that non-existent rash of sexual assaults, you can fix the damn gun laws. You would think that would be pretty simple. It's not like we're asking you to split an atom. It's not like we're asking you to give me the meaning of life. It's not like we're asking you to create a time machine. All we're saying, and it's not just me, all we're saying is do something about the gun laws. If you need to go through a full vetting process to get a passport or a driver's license, why don't you do the same thing to get a gun? What's so wrong with that? Not everybody gets to drive. People get their driver's license revoked for getting DUIs and driving recklessly. Why can't you do the same for guns? That's all we're saying. Not trying to take them away, but it shouldn't be as easy to get those as it is to get lunch. Coming up after the break, we're going to try to lighten the mood just a little bit by remembering a couple of big-time figures we lost in 2016 as I get to dip into the hip-hop bag for one, and then we get a little silly with the other. Plus, football continues to be a major, not just a pain in the ass, but a pain in the head. And that could be a massive problem going forward in this country. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the best of the People's Podcast. This is the best of JSC Radio 2016. We'll be back after this. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, it's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of JSC Radio, which you can now hear on Stitcher Radio. That's right, Stitcher is radio on demand. Now you can download the free app today and it's available on iOS, Android, as well as Nook and Kindle Fire. You can take JSC Radio anywhere. The app is free, you can listen anytime, anywhere. Now if you're wondering what Stitcher is, Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all of your favorite shows, plus discover 40,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows such as JSC Radio. You can create custom playlists. You can rate and review this show and others on Stitcher. Please drop a friendly review on the show. Not only is Stitcher available on all smartphones and tablets, it's also in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory on any of your devices. You can stream your favorite podcasts, like JSC Radio, for free on Stitcher. You don't have the Stitcher app? Simple. Go to Stitcher.com today or check out the App Store on whichever device you use. Stitcher Radio. Be sure to check it out. Did you just look down at your phone? 
You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. This is JSC Radio. We have this fear of concussion uh, that is real, but not all of those, I think, statistics can prove anything. Uh, We've got new helmets coming out. We've got safety issues. There are more concussions in child, women, girls soccer than in football at that age. The number two sport with concussions is women's soccer. Uh, But no one says, we've got to stop playing soccer. Same thing with knee injuries. There are more knee injuries at 8 to 12 in soccer than football. And you can find all the statistics you want if you want to crucify something. This is the best of JSC Radio. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here. Remember, you can also follow me on Twitter at J. Scott Smith. You can get at me on Instagram at J. Scott Smith. You can get at me on Snapchat at, you guessed it, J. Scott Smith. And be sure to support the Patreon page, patreon.com slash JSC Radio. So, we are off and running on the best of JSC Radio 2016. This is part two. We're looking at the more controversial and thought-provoking aspects of this dumpster fire of a year that 2016 has been. And ever since I started this show, and I've mentioned it time and time again, this is a sports show. So, yes, there are some... Very deep sports issues that are bigger than what's happening on the field. And one of those issues is football. I've talked about it multiple times. Guarantee you, when we start 2017, I have a pretty funny feeling the Detroit Lions are going to be one of the first things I talk about. But this is not what we're going into, at least not in terms of play on the field. This next one deals with what I feel should be if not the most pressing, the second most pressing issue in the NFL next to its treatment of women, and that is concussions and head injuries. Now, to give the NFL some semblance of credit, at least they're actually going out of their way, for the most part, to address the issue of head injuries in the game. But it still doesn't really help the fact that whenever you watch a game and and whenever you watch a guy eat a stiff hit over the middle or get smashed along a sideline or a quarterback gets smoked in the pocket. It's it's tough to watch. And I'm coming from the perspective of a guy who's not only watched the game but played it. It's tough to watch. It really is. So we kick it back to episode eight, the Ocho, if you will, where I talked about how the NFL is handling head injuries and how I, as a guy who briefly played football, was able to reconcile myself getting out there and whether I would ever, if I'm lucky enough to have a son, let him strap on the pads and a helmet and get out on the field. This is the best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. I go to a high school in Detroit, Renaissance High School, which we didn't have a football team my freshman year at Renaissance. We didn't. One of the few at the time, one of the few Detroit schools that did not have a football team. This is 1993 into 94. We did not have a football team there. So it wasn't a big deal. But during my freshman year, it was announced that we would have a football team starting the following year, my sophomore year, as JV only. And then two years later, 
That's a varsity team. And I still didn't have a ton of interest in going out there and getting hit. I didn't mind playing flag football as I did in middle school. I didn't mind, you know, a little two-hand touch action. But when it came to tackle, you ain't tackling me. You ain't hitting me in the face. You ain't knocking my teeth out. Are you kidding me? And no, no level of helmets and pads was going to convince me otherwise. But the one thing you couldn't tell 13, 14-year-old J. Scott Smith is you can't do something. Even if I, in my own mind, had made it up that I wasn't going to do something, you didn't want to tell me circa 1995, 1996 that I couldn't do anything or I wasn't tough enough, or I wasn't strong enough, or I wasn't man enough, because that's what football is. Football falls into this macho, hyper-masculine idea that you're a tough guy, you're a warrior, only strong to survive. So my mother made an offhand comment to me that she didn't think I was made to play football. And you couldn't tell me that because my ego was through the roof, my insecurities were on full display, and I'd already taken the physical because, of course, I was a runner. I ran track. <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I was getting ready for track season. I wasn't thinking about football. But when you tell me I can't do something, I did it. I was scared as hell. When I tell you I had no clue how much of a switch from flag to tackle to organized tackle football, oh, yeah, I was scared as hell. I'm not going to sit here and act like I wasn't. It, it's, it, it, it had me nervous. It had me shook. And in football, there ain't no such things as halfway crooks. You can't go out there and just expect to get by and try to hide. I was a tough kid. I took a lot of shots. I mean, when you run track, you go through enough. Playing baseball, you get your fair amount of nicks and cuts. Playing basketball, you get elbowed and you take, you take picks and everything else. So you're thinking, all right, how much different is this really? Man, listen, it's like being in a car wreck. 50 times little things like running up and blocking kicks because at my size at that point I was five foot 11 barely a buck 35 I was a wispy little some bitch and I'm out there on that outside on the field goal unit and I'm faster than everybody else so I'm the little gunner on the outside is going to streak in and try to either disrupt or completely block field goal and extra point attempts and here's something that most people don't realize you're taking shots to every part of the body, but especially the head, and even in situations where you don't realize it. I counted off, if you can call them concussions, I probably had three of them. Maybe technically two. I'll get to that in a second. Technically two, but I'll probably call it three. The first one came from an unlikely source, blocking a kick. I don't think you understand how hard a football is. If you ever, like those of you who caught football, held onto a football, squeezed the football, yeah, it's a little tight. It's a little hard, but if you've had a football bounce off of you and somebody throws it at you, it doesn't really hurt you too much. It's a lot different story when someone with a powerful leg kicks that damn thing and it catches you square in the face mask, snapping your head back. And people think just because you got that helmet on, it's going to protect you. It doesn't. It was not fun. And I was woozy. I was a little off kilter. Didn't get sick, but I was a little off kilter. And I had a headache that was not fun. One other practice, and again... You have to understand this. When you play football, there's always going to be an inherent nervousness. You've got to be a brave dude to go out there and do this. But probably no people are more brave or foolhardy, depending on how you look at it, than punt and kick returners. And I called myself trying to return kicks. Again, I saw kick returners during NFL games being able to make these shifty moves. I'm watching Mel Gray 
and Deion Sanders and Eric Metcalf and great and, and all these great kick return and punt return guys. And I'm thinking, hey, I can do that. I'm faster than everybody. But you don't take into account watching on TV that you also have to hope that the 10 guys in front of you are all on the same page. Because all it takes is one guy slipping or, or making one misstep and a guy gets through that wall and you are a sitting duck. And this is in practice. Not a game, not a game. I'm talking about practice. And I'm up there waiting on this kick and it's the loneliest feeling ever because you can't look down. If you get nervous and look down, you're gonna get drilled. So I look up, I take one step back. I should have taken an extra one. The ball kind of hit me in the shoulder pad, bounced forward. I quickly snap that ball up. The ball barely touches the ground. By the time I look up, that's the last thing I really recall because I got smashed. That's where I think the second concussion came in because the next thing I recall is just kind of laying there. I don't really remember the hit. I just remember being on the ground and holding on to the ball and standing up was a problem. And again, this is 1995. 1995, there's get your ass back out there. You got your bell rung, you're good, get your ass back out there. And I did. I wasn't 100% with it mentally, but I did. And we go through this drill because I was also a defensive back and we had to fight for the ball. Ball goes up, you got to try to get it, you got to fight for it. Pass goes up, I leap up, make the catch, and intercept the thing. But the problem is the guy behind me catches me and I get German suplexed onto the back of my head. That was the end of my day. I knew in high school that even though I was going to see that entire season through, I knew football was something I never wanted any part of. And that's not to say that I'm ashamed to acknowledge that. I'm not ashamed to acknowledge that. Because guess what? Football's difficult. And it's dangerous. And if I had a son, Lord knows, mm -mm, he ain't playing. I'll put a baseball bat in his hand. I'll give him a baseball glove. I'll get him some track spikes. I'll give him a basketball. I'll send his ass out there to do arts, if he wants to march in band, whatever it is, I'll support him 100%. The one thing I'll say no to is football. And that's not to say if you want to play it, I'm going to look down on you, but understand the risks. Football is a dangerous game. If you thought about quitting, you're going to get shamed into oblivion. You're a punk. You're a pussy. You're soft. There's another word that I won't use that was used at back at that time, but you can take a wild guess what word it is. Just know that it starts with the letter F and it's not very not very cool to say. You'd get shamed for not doing it. And I kind of see that now with a lot of these with a lot of these ex these so-called ex-jocks and these fake tough guys who dare to say that football has gotten soft and football has gotten weak and man up and you can't take a little hit. It's just a little bump on the head. You can't take a little hit. Anybody who says that probably never set foot on a football field. Or if they were on the football team, they never actually got on the field and played. Because if you got on that field or you took one good stiff hit, I will tell you right now you'd want no part of it. And you wouldn't dare let it come out your mouth to tell somebody to man up after getting popped and they can't really recall where the hell they are. Football practices and football games are like war zones. I've seen dudes let out on stretchers, bleeding profusely. Guys who can barely remember who they are or what they're doing here. Guys getting hit so hard that they vomit all over the place on the damn sideline. You don't have a clue of how difficult of a job it is and how tough it is on those players. Again, it's like a car wreck all the time. But yet we still watch. I still watch. I'm a hypocrite in that aspect. I still watch the NFL. And I cringe 
every time I see a dude take a stiff shot in a game. Makes me nervous. Scares me. Scares the hell out of me. Scares me for the dude's safety. I keep watching. Even with the fruitless hope that at some point the Detroit Lions will actually win another playoff game in my lifetime and actually do something. I watch. I do it fully well knowing that what I'm watching is somebody getting their life shortened. And unfortunately, the idea of lives being shortened or lives ending became a really disturbing trend here in 2016. I mean, if you look at some of the people who have passed away this year, and this is just a shortened up list. There are just so many of them. And we're talking about David Bowie and Harper Lee and Prince just recently, and I mean very recently. We're talking about Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher. The very next day, her mother, Debbie Reynolds, gone. We're talking about George Kennedy, the actor, dead. We're talking about Nancy Reagan, gone. Frank Sinatra Jr., gone. Gary Shandling, gone. Gary Shandling happened at a point where I thought this occurred last year. It actually happened in the spring. I mean, no matter what you look at, Merrill Haggard, gone. David Guest, gone. China, gone. Michelle McNamara, gone. All these different people. Maurice White of Earth, Wind, and Fire, gone. Afeni Shakur, Tupac's mother, gone. All that happened this year. Morley Safer, Muhammad Ali, Kimbo Slice, Gordy Howe. I mean, all these different people falling dead during this year. It's been a tough year. Buddy Ryan was another one. Pat Summit is another one. We're going to talk about sports figures. They've just been going one by one by one. I mean, even to the silliness, like Miss Cleo, gone. All these people dying. And along the way, one of the people we lost was Fife Dog from A Tribe Called Quest. It stands to reason that Fife Dog was one of the first ones, obviously prior to Prince, Fife Dog was the first celebrity death that felt like it really cut me to the bone this year. I had to do an entire episode on Fife and on A Tribe Called Quest because they're one of my all-time favorite rap groups. And since then, Tribe along with De La Soul, by my estimation and many others' estimation, had the two best rap albums of 2016. Sorry, youngsters. Sorry, skinny jean wearers. The two best rap albums of 2016 were made by two of the groups that had two of the best rap albums in hip-hop's greatest year ever, 1996. I should tell you something. It tells you about the greatness of Fife and Tip. It tells you about the greatness that you can still get out of hip-hop. Fife Dog left us on March 22nd, but his legacy will stand to live forever. We saw it when Tribe was on Saturday Night Live with Dave Chappelle, and we continue to see it in all of their music. We take a look back at the great Fife Dog right here on the Best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Whether it was Pete Rock and CL Smooth, whether it was Outkast, whether it's UGK, whether you get 8-Ball and MJG. I, we can keep this rolling. We really can. I mean, when you think of Digital Underground, it's like all these groups that have come since then, these duos, these teams that try to link up and be these, these super teams of rap music. And then you look up and realize that a lot of that comes off of Tribe. And see, to get it is the Tribe Called Quest. They were the group that integrated a lot of what rap was becoming. We, by the time Tribe comes out, this is the early 90s. So now you've made it through the 70s in the original raw rap era. You made it through the 80s 
where it was going from everything from Run DMC trying to integrate rock music into it to LL Cool J to the West Coast influence that you've seen. They did all this, plus they integrated jazz into the group and the influences of jazz. And yes, they were part. They, they were a part of the, the. You have to think about it. They were a part of that collective that had De La Soul and the Jungle Brothers, and it's like, and and really, of course, they also had a lot of work from the world famous Uma, which of course helped bring you a certain young man from Detroit named James Yancey. We like to call him JD. You may also call him Dilla. But he did work with Tribe. He did work with that whole crew. Tribe Call Quest was a group that changed the game. Without Tribe, there's no Gangstar. Without Tribe, there's no Outcast. Without Tribe, there's no UGK. Without Tribe, there's no Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Without Tribe, there's no Puffy and Mace. Without Tribe, there's no Roots. The Roots crew was really hurting after this. Without Tribe, there aren't all these rap tag teams. Without Tribe, there is no Prime. Tribe was the one that helped bring that in, that helped bring that energy in, that helped set the standard for what a rap duo is. Just like you could argue that groups like Wu-Tang and NWA kind of helped set standards for what a rap group is. But two guys, each one with a mic, it didn't get much better than Tribe. And to lose Fife, that one hurts. And it hurt for a couple of reasons. Because for one, again, I'm 36. We're coming up in September on the 20th anniversary of the death of Tupac Shakur. Tupac died via violence. Next year's the 20th anniversary of the, of the Notorious B.I.G. dying. Violence. 1999, Big L. Violence. We've lost rappers to gun violence. We lost rappers to foolishness and silly beefs at a young age. Fife was 40, he was, he was 46 years old. He wasn't lost to violence. His health got him. He joined a list of guys like Nate Dogg. Health got him. MC Breed, health issues got him. That's what's jarring. And I also said this last week too. This must be what it was like for people like my dad, who is a super huge fan of Motown, of 70s funk music. And he watched these guys like Marvin Gaye and all he he watched a lot of his favorites die and die in a hurry during the 1980s and in the 1990s it just dropped like flies and it was because of the hard partying and the drug use but now at a certain point it stopped being because of all that and they just simply started getting older and just and just falling off Fife died because of diabetes complications something that he had openly dealt with to say that it, it strikes a little bit of a, of a nerve when you see somebody who's not entirely that. He's all about 10 years older than me, but it's like you don't see a guy who just dies that quickly. And he had been going through it. Another one, Sean Price. Sean Price, your, your favorite rapper's favorite rapper, Sean Price. He passed away last summer. He's 43. We still don't know what the hell happened to him, but he hadn't been doing too well the last couple years. So it's like a wake-up call of sorts. These black men dying out before they hit 50 years old. I mean, what is it like? Dr. Dre, I think, is 50 years old. I don't know how old KRS is. He's got to be 50 or pretty close to it. But that's it. You don't get a whole lot of classic rapper. Ice Cube's another one who's heading in that direction. LL is another one in that direction. Big Daddy Kane. It's like guys like that. Bismarck, he's 50. I'll say that. And it's like, you, but you don't see a lot of us getting there. And when you see guys dropping in their early 40s, that, that's a scary thing. 
it's not like Fife was out here in the streets. It wasn't like he was he was shot dead like Tupac or shot dead like Biggie or shot dead like Big L. Big Pun was kind of treated as an anomaly because he was so big and overweight and he had, and he, and he, and he was just in really bad shape. But it, it, it kind of helps you really think. It's like you got to take care of yourself out here. You really do. I say it all the time, partly in jest. Take care of yourself. God bless. Always there to be different. That whole routine. But there's a there there's 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 truth to that. You got to take care of yourself. You got to look out for yourself out here because it's not it's not guaranteed. I mean, it's true. Nothing is guaranteed out here. Nothing. As we've seen in 2016, you can't take anything for granted. You can't take your life for granted. You can't take the next day for granted. You can't take democracy for granted. You can't take anything for granted out here. You can't. 2016 has taught us that we have to keep our head on a swivel. And I promised I was going to lighten the mood a little bit. And of all the superstars and all the supernovas that we lost in 2016, whether it was Bowie or Prince or Fife or Maurice White or Princess Leia, or Debbie Reynolds, or Zsa Zsa Gabor. We lost so many stars and so many heroes this year. We lost another hero back in the summer. His name was Harambe. Damn it. Somehow I got roped into talking about that damn gorilla. Episode 9. The episode where I came back after a hiatus of about six weeks. I came back to talk about a gorilla that got shot because a couple of parents couldn't keep an eye on their three-year-old. So... I decided to have a little fun here. We have to lighten the mood up somewhat because the next segment is going to get really serious. So let's try to have a little bit of fun here. In episode 9, I talked about Harambe. I talked about the kerfluffle over the little boy ending up in the pen and it got Harambe shot and turned him into the most insane, asinine meme of the year. And who knew that looking back in retrospect, Harambe would be one of the high points of 2016 not going to talk about all the goofiness that's associated with harambe you already know what's associated with harambe just throw it into the google machine and you'll see all the foolishness that's surrounded with harambe including all the signs you see at wrestling events and football games and baseball games and all the other foolish things people want to do for harambe all right so yes somehow I got roped into doing an episode on a gorilla that got shot, and you're about to relive it right now. This is the Best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio, and I'm talking to y'all about a damn toddler and a gorilla. What the hell has happened to my life? It's funny that a lot of black folks, myself included, had some fun at the expense of these parents being idiots and letting their kid somehow wander into the gorilla pen, but once we found out that that that, that kid was black, a very unsettling trend and an issue I've always had with my black people started to occur. We suddenly started rallying behind the parents. I've seen a lot of this, especially on social media the last couple days, and that's what's kind of prompted me to do this because I really didn't plan on talking about this bull on this show. I wanted to talk about the NBA Finals. Instead, I'm sitting here talking about a damn gorilla. I've seen this the last couple of days on my social media. Well, if, if, if if you show me a perfect parent... Kids get away from you all the time. You have a kid. If you have kids, you can't keep an eye on them all the time. They'll occasionally slip away. I've actually seen some people say this. I mean, it's not the first time a kid's gotten in an animal pen. What's the big deal? If you're a perfect parent, how about you raise your hand? Because clearly you've never had a kid slip away from you. Look, and I'm going to put it as plain as I possibly can. Ain't nobody's parents perfect, all right? That's not the discussion we're having here. I don't have any kids. 
And I mentioned earlier, I worked at the Detroit Zoo. You want to know what I got to deal with when I worked at the Detroit Zoo? I got to deal with a lot of hot, sweaty, entitled, irritating people who would pay a pretty decent amount of money to saunter their self right on into that Detroit Zoo, and they felt that gave them liberty to do whatever they wanted. Now, I'm not saying that's what these parents were doing in Cincinnati, but I'm going to assume the one thing they weren't doing was paying attention to their damn three-year-old kid. You wouldn't believe how many times my ass had to sit here and tell these kids and their parents, don't do that. Climb down from that. Get away from that. Don't touch that. The Detroit Zoo had has peacocks that roam freely around the park. They also have Canada geese that fly in and out. And the kids, the adorable ones that they are, they see peacocks with the big pretty feathers and they want to run over and touch it and play with it and hug it and grab a feather. And we got to tell the kids no because A, you don't want to do that anyway. B, those feathers were full of fleas and lice. And C, just don't do that. Those feathers are also federally protected. So look, can't touch them. What do we get from the parents when we mention uh, your kid can't touch the peacock? Oh, what the hell do you know? It's just a bird. Ain't nothing going to happen. You're not a parent. You, We know better. Oh, okay. Never mind that. Then somebody else tells him, leave the bird alone. When it comes to the geese, anybody who's encountered a goose, especially a Canada goose, those little dudes are evil. They are mean. They hiss. They snarl. They snap. They've got, they've got rows of teeth underneath those beaks those aren't ducks ducks are nice they're cool they waddle along they're kind of friendly a goose will fight you and they really don't care much for little toddlers strolling up trying to grab one of their little babies and carry them back so we would see this happen a lot the kid would walk over to the goose and i'd be one of the first ones over and say uh sir you don't want to let your kid do that those geese are and before i can even get it out my mouth oh what do you know it's just a goose the goose won't do anything wrong. It's just a bird. What are you worrying about? Yeah, sure, whatever. And they'll just let the kid keep trying to chase after that goose. This happened one time. I'm telling this parent, you want to get him away from this. Again, it's a, it's a goose. They're just like ducks. They're not going to do anything. By the time this parent could finish that stupid sentence, that goose snarled and bit the kid on the hand. So then what does this, what does this bring about? Does it bring about a parent freaking out saying, oh, God, my bad, I'm sorry, I'll get him away from the goose. No, it doesn't. It gets this parent giving me the stink eye and getting pissed off at me for not getting the kid away from the goose. You know, the same goose that you told me wasn't going to do anything. I get it. You guys are parents. A lot of you are. Some of you got kids. Guess what? I don't. But that doesn't make you any better parent than I am. It sure as hell doesn't make you any smarter than I am. Yeah, I may not have kids, but all of us were kids at one point in time. And all of our parents may not have been perfect, but... If your quote-unquote bar for, hey, parents make mistakes, they're not perfect, nobody's mom was perfect, okay, I get that, but if your bar for perfection is my kid doesn't randomly end up inside of an enclosure with a dangerous animal, that's kind of a hell of a bar to put up there. Yes, you want to know what an, un what an imperfect parent is? An imperfect parent is someone who might take their eye off their kid for a second because they're looking at something in, in the produce section and their child wanders off into the candy section of a supermarket and you freak out and you can't find the damn kid. Or you're looking at some shoes at JCPenney and all of a sudden you turn around and your little girl has suddenly wandered off and started playing hide-and-go-seek in the racks. That is a little irresponsible. That's an oops. That's a screw-up. You want to know what's not an oops? 
taking your eye off your kid in a zoo and he ends up in a damn enclosure with a 400 pound gorilla who was minding his own damn business and suddenly he's got to get a cat busted off in him because you couldn't keep an eye on your damn kid and i don't need to have kids to be able to tell you if your son or daughter ends up inside of an enclosure with a gorilla or a hippo or god forbid a chimpanzee you effed up and you ain't got nobody else to blame for yourself and I find it really idiotic and kind of asinine. And I've had to point this out to certain black folks, that the same ones who were clowning those parents when you thought they were white, all of a sudden, you realize that those parents are black and you gotta go into defense mode and defend them. Don't defend this stupidity. Don't do it. Don't flippin' do it. Now I know asking people to turn down the stupid just a little bit might be too much for a lot of y'all, but Considering what kind of stupid we've got ready to, you know, take hold here in this country and around the world, might make our lives a little bit easier if we just stopped and used our brains instead of always trying to defend everything, even when we know it doesn't make any damn sense. Coming up after the break, we get into two of the more serious aspects of 2016, one involving the NFL and the other simply involving black lives. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and you're listening to the Best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio, and we'll be back after this. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, what up though? Jay Scott Smith here, the host of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. And you might be wondering why I call it the People's Podcast. Well... I've got a brand new reason for me to call it the People's Podcast because I'm putting the future of this show into your hands. This show is now on Patreon, and what Patreon is, it's going to help you, the JSC Radio listener, the JSC Radio follower and fan, contribute to the show in whatever way you see fit. That's right. Looking for people to help keep this show moving. Whether you want to donate $1 an episode, hell, $1 a month for $5 per episode. I'll shout you out on this show, and you'll even be able to vote on exclusive polls and exclusive half episodes. That's right, JSC exclusives. You'll get to hear those half episodes before anyone else. For $10 or more per episode, now it gets fun because you get to be a sponsor on this show. You got a business, you want me to talk about it, I want you to sponsor my show. For $10, hit me up, send me the script, I'm putting you over. Plus, you get all the other cool stuff that comes with it. For $25 an episode, same thing applies, except this time, you will become an official segment sponsor. Do you want a segment of this show sponsored by your business? Of course you do. That's why you want to hit me up on Patreon. For more information on how to become a sponsor of JSC Radio, go to patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Patreon.com slash JSC Radio, and you can truly help this become the People's Podcast. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51. 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. 
You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is JSC Radio. What would you like this you know, to be the end game for you? That's basically. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's to bring awareness and make people you know, realize what's really going on in this country. There are a lot of things that are going on that are unjust, people aren't being held accountable for, and that's something that needs to change. That's something that you know, this country stands for freedom, liberty, justice for all. And it's not happening for all right now. Is this something that's evolved as a philosophy in your mind? And how has this kind of progressed that you make a stand like this? It's something that I've seen, I've felt, um, wasn't quite sure how to deal with uh, originally. And it is something that's evolved. It's something as I've gained more knowledge about know what's going on in this country in the past what's going on currently uh, these aren't new situations this isn't new ground it's things that have gone on in this country for years and years and have never been addressed and they need to be yes uh, I'll continue to sit I'm gonna continue to stand with the people that are being oppressed uh, to me, this is something that has to change. And when there's significant change, and I feel like that flag represents what it's supposed to represent, and this country is representing people the way that it's supposed to, I'll stand. There's a lot of things that need to change. Uh, one, one specifically is police brutality. There's people being murdered unjustly and not being held accountable. Cops are getting paid leave for killing people. That's not right. That's not right by anyone's standards. This is the Best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here, Best of 2016 edition. Be sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Why haven't you done that already, by the way? Hit the subscribe button on iTunes, damn it, and you'll be able to get any episode of this show you want start to finish. You don't have to do anything else. Or you can check us out on Stitcher Radio as well. Be sure to subscribe there too. If you want to follow me, follow me on Twitter at jscottsmith, on Instagram at jscottsmith, and on Snapchat at, you guessed it, at jscottsmith. Now what you heard there coming out of the last commercial break as we head into this third and final segment of the show is one of the bigger, surprisingly, one of the bigger controversies of what was at least the first half of the NFL season. That was San Francisco 49er quarterback Colin Kaepernick explaining why it was that he decided he was not going to stand during the National Anthem. And he hasn't, to be fair. He has not. And it set off such a massive kerfluffle in the NFL that it was almost laughable at the hypocrisy of some of it. Because I've heard announcers, including former Detroit Lion Chris Spielman, refer to Colin Kaepernick as having off-field issues. No, Chris, an off-field issue is Michael Floyd being so drunk that he didn't know whether his ass was in Miami or Phoenix. And then getting signed two days later by the New England Patriots after the Cardinals released him. Off-field issues are guys like Johnny Manziel and Greg Hardy and Ray Rice. Those are off-field issues. A guy taking a stand for police brutality, that's not an off-field issue. All right? That's a guy taking a conscious stand against a societal problem. So as we go back to episode 16.5, yep, 16 and a hook, I talk about one of the many foolish aspects of this so-called debater argument that somehow what he was doing was being disrespectful to the soldiers despite, you know, 
that having absolutely nothing to do with the soldiers. My name's Jay Scott Smith, and you're listening to the best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio, the best of 2016. You know, I have great respect for men and women that have fought for this country. I have family, I have friends that have gone and fought for this country. And they fight for freedom. They fight for the people. They fight for liberty and justice for everyone. And that's not happening. I mean, people are dying in vain because this country isn't holding their end of the bargain up as far as, you know, giving freedom and justice and liberty to everybody. It's something that's not happening. And I've seen videos. I've seen circumstances where men and women that have been in the military have come back and been treated unjustly by the country they fought for and have been murdered by the country they fought for on our land. That's not right. Look, one of my closest friends is in the military. And I obviously have told anybody who will listen that I think what he's doing and what they've done in the military is exceptional. Defending a country that at many points in time has not shown the same love to them, both because of their race and simply because they're soldiers. I'm here in Philadelphia where I see scads of homeless veterans all over the place who don't get the adequate health care, who don't get treated like human beings when they came back from war. So for one to sit there and say, well, you should show the, you, you should uh, observe the national anthem because the soldiers, because military, because America, stop, just stop. You know, kind of like what I mentioned back in episode 11 when I was talking about the Orlando shootings, how I noticed that people are willing to fight to the death for the Second Amendment, but they're more than willing to try to look for loopholes in the First Amendment to abridge people's rights to express themselves. This is one of those cases, and one of the many really foolish examples and foolish excuses and insults I've seen hurled at Colin Kaepernick that make no sense is, are people telling him, you make a lot of money, so why are you complaining? You make a lot of money, so you haven't been oppressed, so you shouldn't be saying anything. You should love this country because you make a whole lot of money. So making a whole lot of money and being black means you essentially shut up. As I put it on Twitter on Saturday, if you think I'm mouthy about race issues now, God help you if I ever get rich. Like if I ever start making money off JSC Radio, you thought my ass was mouthy about race before? Ho, 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 baby. I'm about to get on a bullhorn and let your ass know about it. Let me tell you something here. It don't make a difference if Colin Kaepernick is a billionaire. It doesn't make a difference if he's a millionaire. It doesn't make a difference if the dude is working at Mickey D's making minimum wage. The man has every right to express how he feels about this country because guess what? The way this country treats people of color, if you haven't noticed, ain't exactly been above board and it's nothing new. And to see some of the reactions coming from these other athletes and some of these, again, a lot of these fake tough guys on Twitter who jump bad and want to call Colin Kaepernick all kinds of racial slurs, which is kind of proving his point. You're calling this dude all kinds of racial slurs and saying he's a disgrace and you should shut up because you make money. No, you should shut up because you're dumb. One of the more infuriating things is how obtuse people have been about police brutality. It's not like Colin Kaepernick was just magically pulling this out of nowhere. This was following a summer that saw numerous acts of violence by police against mostly, but not exclusively, black men and black boys. In a 24-hour span, two men, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, 
about 1,200 miles apart from each other, one in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the other one in Minneapolis, Minnesota, were shot dead by police in two totally separate incidents that had one very terrible thing in common. And I got so fed up that I just finally laid it all out there in episode 13.5, that what are we supposed to do? And I also come from an interesting perspective because my father was a police officer. He was in Detroit for more than 30 years. Being a black cop means you're constantly walking around with your head, like I mentioned earlier, on a swivel. Back in episode 13.5, back in July, I laid this out there about Philando Castile and Alton Sterling and Eric Garner and Trayvon Martin and everyone else who's been gunned down needlessly by cops and by people who think that they hold the law in their hands. This is the best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. My father was a police officer in Detroit. 35 years. He he gave everything he could to that city. He came into that police department in the early 1970s when the city of Detroit was making a concerted effort to put black people in uniform. Because the city of Detroit was coming off of decades of the police force being essentially all white and going around busting heads and harassing, you guessed it, the black people that had suddenly come into the city. So now we're into the early 70s, we're about five, six years post-riot, and the police department has decided, the police department has decided that it's going to change the makeup. My dad was a part of the first class that graduated black officers and the first class that graduated a woman. He commenced to have a career where every day he got up in the morning, walked out that door, and didn't know if he was going to come home. When he got to work, he not only had to deal with putting on that uniform and being harassed and being called racial slurs and being hazed by these white officers who didn't want him there. He has to deal with this and then go out onto the street and deal with a bunch of people calling him a sellout and an Uncle Tom for being in the uniform. I'm not sitting here saying that police have it easy. I understand how difficult that job is. I said it earlier on my Snapchat. But even my dad understands long since removed from being a police officer. Even he understands that this shit is getting out of hand. That this shit is, it's egregious. And for all the hand-wringing and the pearl-clutching and the, oh, please don't share the video, don't show it to people, is disrespectful to the family, I tell you to grow up. This is reality. And if it weren't for these cell phones, if it weren't for people whipping out a cell phone and recording these acts of violent malfeasance by these police officers. Let me tell you what happens. Alton Sterling reached for a gun, and those two police officers had to shoot him to protect their lives. Philando Castile reached for a gun and attempted to shoot that police officer, and he fired in self-defense to save his life. That's what happens when you don't have the cell phone footage. That's what happens when someone doesn't have an iPad with a camera on it rolling. You want to know why the Rodney King trial became a generational event? It wasn't because of word of mouth. Shit like that had been going on for decades in LA, in Boston, in New York, in Detroit, in Chicago, in Philly, in Dallas, in Miami, in Houston, in, in, in D.C., in Nashville, in Atlanta, you name it. But the reason that Rodney King resonated 
was because of that video of those officers savagely beating that man and beating that man. The reason that the riots jumped off is because we saw what they did to Rodney King. Don't you think that if someone had a camera phone when George Zimmerman decided to jump out of his car and stalk Trayvon Martin up and down a subdivision, that if someone had a camera phone, we might be looking at a different scenario right now. If someone didn't have a camera phone, we wouldn't know Eric Garner couldn't breathe. We didn't have a camera phone. Walter Scott simply took the taser and attempted to disarm an officer and he shot him to protect his life. Instead, the camera phone showed this officer, like the cold-blooded coward that he is, shot a man in the back eight times and tried to plant a taser next to him. So those of you who are clutching pearls and saying, oh, please don't share it. It's disrespectful to the family. The family of Philando Castile said that video is necessary. So get over it. Grow up. You can't demand that justice occurs because guess what? The burden of proof is always going to be on us. These videos are not only needed, they are vital. You're not disrespecting the family by sharing them. You're disrespecting the family by trying to censor them, by trying to cover them up. As I've mentioned before, there is and should never be any comfort to cowardice. There is and should never be any comfort for those who want to instill fear in your hearts. What we've got coming in 2017 from top to bottom is going to be a drastically changed country and a drastically changed world. And going forward, we have to be prepared for that. And yes, there's going to be things and issues that are controversial. There's going to be things and issues that hit just a touch too close to home or a touch too hard or they just make you a little nervous. That's where podcasts like this are necessary. That's where we need to have things like this because you just don't know. You just don't know. Who knew that one year ago, the 2016, by the time we got to the end of the year, that this year would have been one of the most emotionally taxing, draining, stressful, irritating, agitating, awful, dumpster fires of a year anybody will ever go through. I swear, nobody could have predicted this. And nobody knows what's coming in 2017. Like I said on the previous Best Of episode, I want to thank everybody who supported this show from its inception back in March. We're only nine months in. We're 25 regular episodes. We're 25 original episodes in, plus a few extra Johns. That's a word I learned here in Philadelphia. Some extra Johns, the .5s, the hooks. Those are the ones that have a whole lot of good things on it. So if you're a new subscriber to this show, I suggest you go back through the feed. I suggest you go through the archives and play catch up. Because you missed a really, because you missed potentially a lot of really good shit along the way. And I want to thank you one more time for listening to this show, for supporting me, for showing love. When you get a chance, share this show with somebody. Share the link. Do that. Get that out there. Show your love. Let's make this thing go viral. My name is J. Scott Smith, telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pet spayed or neutered. Happy New Year, and we are out of here. Until next time, this is JSC Radio, and we'll see you on the other side. Thanks for coming out. God bless you. Good night. Check it out. This is JSC Radio.
heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.